it starts at 10, so Pat, uh, Steve will jump on at... Um, like 10.02. 10.02, right? As he knows per, it's at 10. I texted him this morning, so he knows. As per usual. He's the star of the show. Is it raining there? Of course. Hey, man. What kind of question is that, dude? Send some of that down our way, dude. You need some? Yeah, I think so. Listen to this. Zakamani, the flying winger. It's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. Pat, for how much we talk, I think you told me you're coming on a podcast, huh? What? <laughs> Surprise! Unbelievable. Steve. Bro, it's 100 episodes, dude. It's a big deal. Steve, welcome to the 100th episode. <laughs> welcome we'll to the episode. <laughs> there may be some people popping in and out today, just to reminisce <laughs> and talk about the past. That's uh, funny. <laughs> Pat, welcome to the show. This week's Thank side you, by Brad. side. It's almost like side by side by side by side podcast this week. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, just wait. We just, we just want to reminisce about old times yeah. and um, <laughs> kind of just talk about Steve a little bit. <laughs> and obviously, I there's no one. I got uh, a good friend in Pat, Patty Yanni. Welcome to the show. Thanks for um, hanging out with us and talking a little bit of knowledge and uh, obviously a little bit about Steve as well. What's going on? Uh, I just want to, I want to open it up with a story about my, my first story about Steve. Um, <laughs> no, it, this is a good one. This is a real easy, easy one. Easy to lead in. This guy, um, I didn't know him yet. I had just been traded from Houston and I get into the, the lobby of that. I don't know what it was. Embassy suites or something across from Starfire that we were staying in the first year of the MLS Sounders and Zakawani was there with his big headphones on before training. And I thought, man, this guy, this number one pick is just way too serious. Um, and then it turned out to be, he's not like, he's not serious at all. <laughs> and I was, I was the one that needed to loosen up. But um, <laughs> I just remember thinking like, dude, this kid is going to be like, Oh my gosh, he's going to be just miserable. <laughs> like, if you're like that before, before trainings, I couldn't imagine what you were like before games, but <laughs> it turned out to be he was serious before trainings and he was joking around before games. So where, where did that come from, Steve? Why so serious before training and then at games relaxed? I don't even know if I was that serious. I, th- I remember that day, actually. Um, no, I think I was like training, like, I think my first year, especially, well, first few weeks, like, you want to prove yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think one thing people don't understand is like the NBA draft, I think NFL to an extent, that the draft picks are super high profile when it comes into the league already. I think with MLS, it's not like that. Even if you're the number one pick, I came in, it wasn't a big deal at all. I don't think, I don't think Lundberg even knew what the draft was. So it was like, it didn't matter that you was the number one draft. So I think I, I was in the bottom. I had to prove myself. But then once I would say four months into my rookie year and I knew, okay, this is how the league works. This is where I'm at. And I was settled. I think I went back into myself where I super relaxed for games. I mean, Pat was my roommate. I'd watch what cartoons before games and, Know, Bugs Bunny or Tom and Jerry to relax before a game. Like, I like to be super relaxed, but I think that first three months, like I had to prove myself and really show that I belong. So I think I was a bit more focused where, in those days. Where you, 
you said you said you remember that day. Were you nervous that day before training, those early days? No, what's crazy is when I, I was so excited because remember we went to the VMAC and what's weird, I always found the higher the level, the better it was for me because with better players, I'm like, I'm going to get better balls. I just got to be ready. Like I hate playing with bad players. So I knew it's going to be faster and it was those first days. It was like so fast coming from college. But I also knew I believed in myself. So I wasn't nervous ever. I knew that... Um, once I got the hang of it, I'd be fine. When it really clicked for me was we went to Ventura that first preseason and we would use just scrimmages every day and I had so much space to run at James Riley. I felt bad for James and then Evan Brown. I had so much space. So once you gave me that kind of space and I was playing left mid, Ziggy told me, you know, because in college I was a forward and Ziggy's like, you know, we've got Freddie and Freddie, Jay Qua, like he wouldn't play as forward, but Carnell Smith came in as number 11, if you remember. And then Sebastian, the two, we had wingers sign up. So I had to fight for my place. And it was like, once we got to the open space in California, I was like, yeah, this is a wrap. Because I knew I could just dribble and dribble and dribble. And that was, that's what I wanted to do. So I love that. I wasn't nervous, no. So it's 100 episodes in. I want to I wanna know, like, just are there any episodes or conversations that have really stuck out to you? Um, and then, you know, re- reminiscing also about Pat and your guys' relationship, any conversations that you guys have had also that, you know, you, you reflect on that kind of um, – not come full circle, but that you guys still reminisce about today. Yeah, I think a lot. I think I started with a guy called Nick Fershaw and Will Parchman on Sound of Soccer. That was the first Sound of Soccer I was a guest on. And then that changed into winging it. So I started doing that. Um, everyone, I mean, everyone's been on here. We've had DeAndre a couple of times, Freddie back in the day. We interviewed you when you were, I think, on the road in your Airstream at one point. Um, but I think um, we had a couple of good convos with Eddie Johnson on here. Pat's been on here a few times. So I think for me, it's just getting those guys. I interviewed Clint. That wasn't on here. That was in my role with broadcasting. And we, we did two separate 20, 25-minute sit-downs with Clint. So I would say even though those one of the podcasts, they're the most memorable because you don't, you don't talk to anyone. I know he just did one recently with Gooch and Beastie yeah. and those guys. They're his friends. But in general, he won't speak to anyone. But we got Clint to really open up and spent a lot of time, almost an hour, um, which he never does. And he talked about everything. So that was maybe the one that I was like, wow, we actually did that one. But um, for the podcast itself, it's just everyone. I think probably having Adrian on, I did like a 30 minute just chat with Adrian and you know, he doesn't have to talk too much about himself or anything like that, but getting him to kind of loosen up and talk and be fun was good. Um, So I've enjoyed that part. And with Pat, I mean, me and Pat, it's weird because like we were so different. Like he was like this crazy center back who loved going to the gym and stuff like that. And I was like the complete opposite. I wanted nothing to do with that. But uh, we were roommates just in that we became roommates on the road trips. And so we landed in any city. The first thing we had to find a good place for a good burger. Um, that was always our thing. Pat got me. Pat got me into eating well. Pat was super, and I found Pat so like we, he had a bedtime, and I was like, this is not my life, man. And then. He always goes to the, he had a really small bladder. So he stomped across the hotel room at 3 a.m., keeping me up before the game and everything. So <laughs> those are the memories I have from <laughs> uh, I love I love that you said I tell you how to eat healthy, but we're eating burgers. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> One Grass fed. Grass fed. <laughs> Pat, what, what when when you saw Steve for the first time, and I don't know if I ever had like the epiphany that some and i think if you were to talk to ziggy you could ask him like oh when did you see like that moment where you said okay that's that's going to be our guy or or he's going to be a next level player when, when was that for you um where you were like oh wow this this kid's a real deal and uh you know we might not 
you might not see this again in a player uh, in Major League Soccer. I'm pretty skeptical with with young players. Like I want them to to prove it for a little while. And he uh, he was yeah he was guy. I remember he scored his first goal in Toronto, um, but wasn't uh, you know necessarily anything like hugely impressive. I can't remember exactly how how that goal happened. But I think just over the course of that of that uh, first year and even more into the second year, I think that game against San Jose at, at San Jose, I think he had a couple goals early on in 2010, maybe that was. Um, and I think then it was like, okay, you know, he's going to go on. And then he had, I think, 10 goals, 10 assists, dude. I think that year I was kind of keeping track of his stats in the room on the road trips. That was my that was my role <laughs> for the team. So, um, so I just remember, yeah, this guy, this guy is going to be really, really good. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Keely, you're, um, you know, obviously you came a little bit late to the party, <laughs> but it's fun to, you know, kind of reminisce about players and where we were at. And um, obviously unfortunate that, you know, no one's career ends up, I mean, no one's career very rarely does it end up how you want it to be. But um, Steve, what, what were some of the highlights for you? Um, like when you think about, you know, those couple years in the league, yeah. where does your mind go? first it does think, change every day i think you have to go to the first game i don't know for you guys i don't think we knew things were being done well i don't think anyone could have expected coming to the stadium that day to play new york um and it was only thirty thousand fans back then but i swear it was louder than it is now maybe because you weren't used to it it just was like unbelievable there was confetti coming from the sky like i just came from akron ohio i had no idea what to expect and I started that game on the bench, you know, because I um, I got injured late in preseason, so I was watching and I was able to really take it in. Um, so that's always going to be the highlight for me. It's just that first year was just a blur. Like we were rolling, we we're a very very good team, like classic four four two, a Ziga Schmidt team. We were solid defensively, and we just got me when me and Sana got on the counter. I remember just every time I get the ball, and we like what well, Nuhu does now in a sense, but like ten times better. Um, sorry Nuhu. Um, like every time I get on the break, I could feel the energy of the stadium. People would stand up, cameras started flashing. That I loved. Um, that part of it, I remember like trying to build like a really good um, rapport with the two Freddies because our attacking core was good. So that was the best. But what I would say probably is the run towards the second year when Lundberg went and then Blaise Kufo came and Flacco came the first time. Um, and we went on a crazy run. We won the US Open Cup against Columbus Crew. We rolled into the playoffs on a high and then it ended, unfortunately, very early to LA Galaxy. But that probably was the period where I was like, I had a long sustained spell I enjoyed it. And then, of course, my third year, right before the injury, is when I felt like, you know, I'm, this is like, I'm going to now make that big jump where I'd gone and played for my national team in the offseason. I trained with Everton for 10 days and I felt like I belonged there. They had like Tim Howard and Arteta and Phil Neville, um, very good team. Tim Cahill was there. And I felt like I belonged. And I knew that was my last year in MLS. Like, I knew, like, this is the third year. I'm done. Um, the team, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly, but um, we had something in agreement pretty much with a team called SC Freiburg in the Bundesliga. Um, we knew like when the season ends, that's what they were very interested. And Rich Muskin, if you guys know the agent, we were talking about just get through this year. And when I came back, for some reason, I don't know, it's just everything, not, it wasn't, it's never easy. Football's not easy, but it felt so easy for me. Like it just felt like, Anytime I want to get the ball, I can run past wherever I want. I'm going to do a couple one-twos here and there. If I want to score today, I can. Should I get an assist? Like It started to feel like that. And it was only like a six-game window at the start of that year. And then the injury happened. And then from there, even though I played three more years, I think one of them was kind of good. Um, 
the especially the playoff game against LA was it 2012 when we were three 0 down first leg and we had to come back and we won two one or something. I felt really good in that game, um, but then it just was like six games then injured and you guys know that injury. So um, I have to really narrow it to the end of my second year, the start of my third year, where I felt like. I'm going and I was only at 22, 23. So I don't know what player I would have been at 27, 28, like with all that experience, all that training, like I would love to have seen it just to see like where my game going to go. But no, I mean, it, I wanted to be drafted number one and number three. That was it. Seattle had first pick. LA had number three pick. I did not want to go to Toronto at number two. And so it worked out really well for me to come to Seattle. Where, yeah, just all those memories are good, man, to be honest. Um. I guess we could talk a little bit about adversity because I think we've all faced it in our, in our own you know, way. We always talk about how everything's peachy keen and rosy, yeah. um, but that's not the reality. Right. And I know, you know, all three of us have had candid conversations about where, you know, we thought we might end up or how we wanted our careers to play out. But um, you know, Pat, you've dealt with it as well, but just yeah. that mental side of it and, and now disconnecting from soccer, but being able to come into this setting and, and reminisce about good times, but also try not to try not to hold on to that um, is really difficult, right? Because you always play that in your mind. Like, what if you watch soccer now and you're like, man, I could do that. Or what if I would have done this? How, how do you guys like deal with that on a daily basis? Go on, Pat. Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I think it's just there's an acceptance there, right? That, that has to be kind of worked through. And there's times when, for whatever reason that your mind starts to churn over, you know, what could have been or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's like just being grateful for, for what is now. Um, I mean, he's in the West wing of some, some mansion that he's built over there. So I mean, <laughs> uh, there's, there's something to be grateful for. I got, I got my, I got nice new, new washers and dryers behind me. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's, I think that's a struggle for, for, for some people, maybe more so for, for others. I think there's always a real pull to go back and play because, you know, quite frankly, I think I, I liken the sports experience to, to like a drug. Um, I mean, uh, there's, there's just such a high that you're getting to see mentioned with the 30,000 fans when we first got there to, to Seattle. It was amazing. Sports, I think high level sports, the, 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 there's the adversity like when you lose or even if you're going through bad form. And I think, you know, me and Casey had this conversation recently where, we're kind of fortunate as US-based soccer players that the media scrutiny isn't as hard. You're not getting an article every day. And, you know, but I would say Seattle was a bit more than other markets. And you know, I don't know how it was like in Columbus when you were there, Brad, or Pat in Houston, whether like the local beat would be critical of everything. But I think all the blogs in Seattle when social media came, people actually care if we won or lost, who's playing well, who's not playing well. I liked that pressure. Um, so I think that's one side of it. I think the the injury part of it is the tough part. And especially when you know you have to call it a day, um, it's hard because there's no coming back. I will never play another MLS game. I will never, like, that is a reality you have to really sit with. And then you miss the locker room, the banter in the locker room. But that's what you miss, though, driving into work. It's the easiest job in that sense. You show up, a bunch of your friends, you laugh, you joke, you go out, you play a bit, and then you have something to do on the weekend. So... I missed that part. When I got the full closure, I think it was like I'd been retired for a couple of years. Then I, not seriously, but kind of flirt with the idea, can I come back? Can I just try it? My body's rested, let me see. And I went down to two, somewhere the Sounders. That's the trip where I roomed with Clint. And he had just come from his heart thing. And so we had some good conversations. And then like a week into the training, there was a preseason game against um, 
Portland coming up. I think Brad was um, in national team and Jordan and Christian were going as well. But we're playing Portland in preseason Tucson. And Schmetz the night before in the team talk had me in the lineup. And it was like left mid. And I was like, I do not want to chase Alvis Powell tomorrow. Like I have no, what, what am I doing? I've got a good life. I'm enjoying myself. I get to go on TV and talk about this stuff. I'm not running in this Tucson heat chasing this guy. So I called Schmetz to the side and said, look, I'm not going to play tomorrow. Like I just don't want to. I said, I just don't want to. I'm like, I've been, I've enjoyed the 10 days we've had here. I have no interest in pursuing this any further. Like, I'm happy, man. And then he was like, yeah, I understand. So, and that was it. From there, I've never, ever missed it one day. I've never looked back and thought, what if? Um, I think I needed that kind of approach to be like, it's a really fun job, but it's going to end for everyone at some point. And I kind of enjoy where my life is at now, I think. So, Steve, basically, the media, us and the media convinced you to join us. Join yes. us. <laughs> yes. And that's the hard part, though, initially, because when I retired, I played with everyone that was on the team still. And I was covering them. And it's like, you know, you know, the Sounders would have slow starts. And so we've got to talk about it. That was hard. Um, so you don't want to criticize your teammates. And then one thing about being in the media side as well, you can become very critical very easily. And you forget how hard it was when you were on the pitch as well. Because now you're watching from bird's eye view. You see every space, every mistake, every that. And you have to balance it with it, the guys are trying. It's not, it's, it's not easy. It's very hard. And Steve, remember when you were in those shoes, you made those same mistakes. You missed those passes. You didn't see the guy that was open. So don't be overly harsh. It helps. Now it's easier because no one on the sound is that I play with. I know a few of them, but they're not friends of mine in that sense. So I can be a bit more detached and um, be more like objective, I think. Um, when we talk about like the, it's almost like grief when you leave the game and it's kind of that same, like when you're, when we're watching soccer from that, um, you know, second tier in the stadium, it just seems really easy, right? We're watching from home. It's like, like you said, why don't you make that pass, make that pass? It's kind of like that same 30,000 foot view of telling a player like, yeah, it's time to move on, but you don't know exactly like how they're feeling on the inside. And it's the same thing, like certain, certain circumstances in the game are the same um, that we talk about, like post soccer career, like just, just go do something. You're yeah. fine. Like go, go, but you still have like that hunger to hunger to play. It's a, it's a difficult one to transition. Um, inside the locker room though, it always seemed that that was like the escape, the release, the, yeah. the fun, right. Inside the locker room was always just having a laugh. Um, Pat, you were there early on. What was your favorite part just about being in the locker room and uh, just watching Steve laugh and not really do anything, but watch from his <laughs> corner and laugh inside the locker room. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say two two words, Pete Binus. Like the like Pete and Steve, you uh, even John, like you know, Freddie Montero messing with, with Ricardo um all the time. Um I'm trying to think who else was funny. Tyrone was funny, but but Pete Pete messing with Lundberg was the best for me. Yeah. Um constantly messing with him, telling him that you know, he left his, his, his paycheck in the defensive half or in the offensive half of the field or whatever it was, or we had to, all those kind of stories were, were the best for me. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was constant. It was as soon as you walked through the doors, something was going on. Even, even, you know, the coaches were getting in on it. Everyone was messing with Nolan, uh, equipment manager constantly. I, I do, you know, private coaching now. And so when I'm, you know, people are asking, Hey, what, you know, what was your background or whatever? Um, first thing I'll say is I played in MLS and I say, who you played for? Who do you, who did you play for? And I say the Seattle Sounders, that time in Seattle was, uh, was special, very, very special. And, um, and, and definitely something where 
now even I mean it's 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 helpful even now um, in my in private coaching to say I play for the Sounders and people are like oh everyone knows who the Sounders are so hmm. um, you know and, and just I'm so appreciative of Ziggy and um, and and Adrian and then and Chris Henderson and then all of you guys for for uh, you know uh, putting up putting up with me and but also uh, you know um, teaching me and and uh, and pushing me so. Yeah, we had a really good group, and uh, I think that I think it was a 2010 team. I think it just happened to be the year that I actually played more than like you know 10 games or 15 games. Um, was one that uh, was a really special year for me, particularly. Um, but uh, yeah, so very good times, and I'm super grateful for it. Steve, did did, uh, did Ziggy ever tell you anything that is still like? Um, you think about today or um i think with ziggy yeah i think we yeah he did a lot of things actually i mean you know his speeches as well as i do at that but you kind of ziggy would recycle some of the same like speeches depending on the situation for the team but he and i would talk quite a lot and i think like my midway through my second year we like would talk a lot but i was never part of ziggy's like committee he had like three or four guys i think he'd meet with regularly i was never a part of that i don't know if i wanted to be um but yeah, he and I, Ziggy, I think just as a winger, all the time, you know, you drop it, take off, like stuff like that. Like things that they became so automatic to me because he would always be on my ear saying, sooner you just run, no matter what happens, you just run. So I, off the board running and things like that, it helped me a lot. And then I would say more tactically, not I, I, of the coaches, Caleb Porter's where I learned tactics, like mm -hmm. a lot. Like he was relentless from college, also had him in the pros. Ziggy was more just... Um, you walk behind you at training, put his arm around your shoulder, give you one or two small comments, and that might help. But for the most part, he let me do what I wanted to do. As long as I gave him something defensively, he was kind of um, he was he was good to me, man. Like yeah, Ziggy was very good to me. What about uh, Caleb? Anything that stuck out? Yeah, because I had him at Akron, and he was like ambitious, young, same personality he has now. Super arrogant in his own way, but if you're on his team, you love it because he believes in you. He has your back. He's loyal. And you feel like we can be anyone, like, don't be like He was like, he came to Akron and made us think we were the best team in the country and we weren't, but you felt that way. And then he began to learn the tactical side of the game. And when I had him at Portland, even though that year was not a good year from injury-wise, I've never seen a coach, an MLS coach like that tactically. Mm. Like, it, it was ex ex exceptional. exceptional. Like what? Hey, we'll have a special guest in about 30 seconds. <laughs> Sounds great. His training sessions, like um, the way we prepare for a team, the attention to detail, knowing exactly how the Galaxy are going to play that weekend. Then it would happen. He would know exactly what to do, how he placed Valerian Nagby. I remember we came to play Seattle. One of my best games, actually, for the Timbers was against the Sounders at CenturyLink. I played like 60 minutes and I was against DeAndre. And normally as a midfielder, I know defensively, you have to tuck in when the ball's on the other side. He's like, no, you just stay wide. It's going to be a one-on-one, -on -one, you and DeAndre. Like, mm -hmm. And I don't mind, it's just a gap in the midfield. It doesn't matter, Charo will cover it. You stay wide. And we were able to get out almost every time because then Valeri would look for that pass right away. So things like that, like unconventional, um, he was bold, man. And in his trainings, like, I remember what it sounded, you do that possession, 8v8 in yeah. a box, and you just kind of make 10 passes and run around. But he made it like directional and positional and those small touches. I never knew before. So, um, yeah, he was good, man. He's, and he's still good now. He's a very good tactician of the game. So I learned the most from him in that sense. But as a person to be playing for in the locker room, I preferred Ziggy, to be honest. Not so much on your back, not too much 
talking. Ziggy kind of would let you do. If you were doing well, you can just do your thing and forget he's there. So well, hey, for, we got a special guest. Let me know when you want me to turn on my video. Or you're, you're good. Ready. We're ready. Well, for, hold on. First, oh, I want to know just about on. like Caleb's style, the way he dresses. You think he could have like, just like improve a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he, wears some, he, he wears some fitted suits sometimes. Okay. Yeah, but for the most part, is <laughs> is a good dresser. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, fair enough. Okay, all right. Well, let's see who this uh, special guest is. <laughs> I heard you talking about me. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> you prefer to play for Siggy, huh? No, be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's because you didn't like defending. Exactly. You know, that's I mean, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. all. I told you at halftime <laughs> when you were soft. <laughs> How you Since doing, Saint Francis? Oa, my freshman year. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Congrats, surprise, man. Congrats yeah. on your Thank 100th you. uh, podcast, Brad. Good seeing you. Good to see you, man. Thank you for uh, just taking 10, 15 minutes. Uh, just yeah, a couple sure. questions. I can't wait to you. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank yeah, you for joining good. us. We both love Steve, though. So there we go. Yeah, that's our common <laughs> um, I think I think the biggest question that especially our fans will want to know is uh, like that moment when you first saw Steve and said, "Oh, okay, this is going to work yeah. for us." Yeah, for sure. I think that's yeah. the biggest question. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, kind of funny story um, how we found Steve. Actually, you know, we were looking at film on another guy, a guy that was playing on on Steve's team, and. Uh, a guy named Oscar Odach, and and uh, didn't know anything about this academy. It was kind of a, you know, an academy in London that uh, apparently had rounded up a bunch of really good players that didn't quite make it with pr- Premier League teams. Or and uh, there was a kid we liked, and I sent my assistant over there, and I'll never forget. He went went to watch training, and you know, he calls me, and I go, "Okay, how was Oscar?" And he goes, "Yeah, he was pretty good, but." There's another kid on the team, you know, coach, he, we got to get this kid because he's the best player in college soccer. Hmm. I was like, all right, we'll do the bait and switch, get him instead of the other guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, the rest is history. And, you know, I, I'll tell you the first training session, uh, we had a, you know, a player on our team who was really good central defender named Corey Sipos, who was our captain, you know, um, All-American, really good defender. And uh, first time Steve got the ball, he did three step overs and Corey fell on his ass. And I thought, you know, that's a good start. You know, and then he bagged like six goals in the spring season, um, you know, but uh, without a question, you know, my assistant was right. He was for sure the best player in college soccer. So I, I always think that there's a moment where, and I would imagine you guys as coaches, there's, there's got to be, yes, that moment, but the one where you are probably in season, you're playing a good opponent. And you walk into the locker room with the coaches and you're just like, thank God we have him. Um, was there a moment yeah. that kind of stuck out where you were like, this is it, right? Like this guy is, is legit, legit, legit in a real setting, not a preseason. Yeah. I think, you know, you've been around Brad, you know, Steve, you just know right away, you know, coaches, when you see a top player, you know, immediately I knew the first session um, I knew in that spring, those games, every game, you know, every goal Steve scored in college was a highlight reel. Yeah. Usually it was like a 50 yard run where he beat three, four guys. And 
Um, but I, I do remember vividly we went on the road. It was it was still when the program was evolving into a big time program. Um, you know, we started to get a little bit of uh, over time more and more respect. But I thought the coming out really of us being a national contender was when we went on the road and beat Indiana. And Steve was the player of the tournament there. In their tournament, we won the tournament. That was my former right. college and. Um, Todd Yagley invited us there and we went there and won the tournament. I don't think he expected us to, to do that. And I don't think we had a Steve Zakawani or a Darlington Nagby or a Teal Bunbury. And we played those three guys up top and uh, we just ran through teams. So, you know, Steve's the type of guy that makes, you know, any coach look good. Um, he certainly made me look pretty good in college. And you got to coach like this full circle experience kind of, right? Obviously you go to a rival team, you see Steve's injury. I'm sure that you were the first one to reach out. Um, and then it kind of comes full circle where you get to coach him again. What did that kind of mean to you? And just to see him, you know, continue to push and and obviously find a setting that he felt appropriate and a coach that believed in him before. Important for him, but also probably important for you and how that made you kind of feel, I guess, to know that he trusted you to, you know, kind of guide him on that last little journey. Yeah, I think what's really cool about what I do, and I I truly do it for the players, there's different motivations that coaches have. And my motivation is always to, to help players and help them win, help them develop. And in college, I really, um, you know, got, got a rush from uh, helping develop players for the next level. You know, I think I had over 20 guys and I, I, you know, I was demanding guy, obviously, um, still demanding a little less, you know, so Steve got to see a little bit, the young, you know, Caleb was a little bit of a prick and cocky and, you know, I'm getting less and less, believe it or not, Brad, you know, <laughs> um, that way, but, you know, I was very demanding and I knew I needed to be to develop these guys. And that's why I'm very proud of the fact that the, most of the guys I had it after moved on and stuck, um, you know, and, and that meant sometimes that Steve, Steve knows this. I was I was very tough and I'd tell the truth to these guys and, and get them ready. But uh, for me, that was always the reward. And I think what's really cool, like you said, with the full circle is then now going in the pros. You know, when I was a young coach, I was developing almost while Steve was developing, you know, and mm. and then to now go in and continue to prove myself, continue to develop, and then now coach some of these guys again at the next level, like a Darlington Nagby, like a Steve, like a, you know, a Perry Kitchen and Darren Maddox, you know, some of these guys, it's, it's very cool because I'm different. They're different. You know, I'm more, um, more of a, a man with a family now and, and have, have, um, you know, a, a different balance in my life. And so today, and, and I think it's really rewarding for me to see like a Steve now, um, who he is outside of soccer. Um, yeah. Funny story about Steve is, um, you know, when I picked him up at the airport, it was late at night. He traveled all night in London. And we couldn't get him in the dorms that night, so I had him stay over at my house. And he didn't say a word in the car, honestly. And I'm thinking, this is the most shy kid I've ever seen in my life. And he didn't say a word. And we, we got him in the house, and we, we put him in the guest bedroom, and he didn't say a word. Um, thanks. And, you know, we're like, okay, he's probably tired of talking to my wife. I'm like, man, this kid, this kid is quiet. And, uh, and then in the morning we're up at 10, we're making breakfast. We expect him to come out, you know, we're kind of waiting. And then it's 11 o'clock. He doesn't come out. 
And as it turns out, he was scared of dogs. And we, my dog, my dog kept scratching on the door and then he'd poke his head out and see this dog right there. And so he just stayed in his room till like noon. And finally, I finally I went up and opened the door and he's like, he's like in the room, like scared. And uh, I'm like, what's going on? And I'm thinking, geez, there's what's wrong with this kid. <laughs> he was scared of our dog clawing at the door. And what's funny about that is, um, I thought his personality was going to be very meek and very shy. And, you know, obviously, you know, that's not the case. And I know now that's not the case by the yeah. end of his time in Akron, he was one of our best leaders. He was, he was doing Bible study and motivational speaking. And, you know, when you look at now the broadcasting, the podcasting he's doing and his articles, he's writing and the movies he's making. And, you know, he's one of the best leaders I've ever coached and such an, um, outgoing kid not that shy kid that was scared of the, the little dog that we had at our house yeah the little dog and that's funny because we just had patty on and he was talking about steve was the only thing he talked about was freddie lumber bringing his dog to training and now i see like that's the thing that stuck out in his mind just get these dogs away from me <laughs> he was just terrified of dogs <laughs> i was I was. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Caleb, can you can you talk about that uh, Seattle Portland rivalry? Obviously, you're not there anymore, but what that meant to you and and just our fans getting to hear it from your perspective. This is probably like the first time that uh, they've been able to hear that, which is I think they're going to love. Yeah, it was great. You know, I think um, when you look at you know those five years that I was there and and kind of the battles that we had, I think it's no coincidence that we won MLS Cup and then Seattle won MLS Cup the year after and rising tides, as they say, raise all ships. And I think that was, a, a, I think, an important era for MLS. Um, you know, we were uh, elevating our clubs and, and, each, uh, and both clubs were competing. And it was just, as you know, um, a lot of tension and a lot of competition and a lot of um, animosity towards each other. And, and that's how you get better, you know, competition, challenge, adversity, and, and just not wanting to lose to your rival. Um, and it was unbelievable. The pressure every game, um, I know it made me better. I know it made the players better. And um, I know the fans in Seattle hated me, still hate me, but that's fine. That's good. That means obviously you, you did something that made them mad. And I think that you don't want to be the liked coach uh, in another market, you want to be the hated coach because that means you're obviously getting under their skin. You're winning things and um, great years there. Great years for sure. And a lot of respect for Seattle. Believe it or not, their fans, much respect. Their coaches going against Siggy. Uh, he was always a mentor of mine, an idol of mine. I studied him a long time. In fact, the big reason I went to MLS was him, you know, wow. and, um, you know, he did a lot for me. So you would never know that with the battles we had. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great person and a great coach and a great guy. Yeah, it's great. It's great to talk kind of behind the scenes. And this is probably our only second conversation. I only remember one other conversation we had was preseason down in Portland. Uh, very brief, but getting to know the person, you know, over the rivalry is uh, something that I still think about today uh, when Portland comes up. So, um that was always good conversation and, and the mutual respect, I think that, you know, even we had for each other at the time was, I didn't think that that was there because I think like our fans, we just saw you as this villain. Right. Yeah. And, and which is good. Like you said, that, that 
just adds to the rivalry, but getting to know you as, as the person in that brief amount of time was something that I've carried since. Uh, so I appreciate that conversation. I know that obviously you built a great character in Steve and, and we we're lucky to have him and still have him. Uh, and you're a big part of that. So uh, thank you for that as well. Steve. Thank you. And listen, I got, I got respect for players always, you know, and I, are always loyal and respect my guys and I, I go to war for them and, you know, we have great times, but on the other side, when I, when I go up, up against, you know, players like you, um, not just on the pitch, just being a competitor, but, you know, you can see there's deep waters off the pitch with you, the way you think about things and you're going to certainly have a bright future, uh, whatever that is. I read your story about the camper that year and all that. That was pretty cool. By the way, I want to do that. Got to do it, man. <laughs> Take another so, year hiatus. Yeah, exactly. That'd be nice. Uh, Steve, one story that sticks out before we let this guy go. Uh, whether that, you know, guided you to where you are now or, you know, something funny about this guy. Be careful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, um, I'll give a couple. One that shows you kind of his intensity and then one that shows you the human and why I respect him a lot. So, my first year, like he said, we were not a big program and we were actually going down to play against Wake Forest and North Carolina on a weekend. And Wake was this number one team, Marcus Tracy, Corbin Bone, Michael Parra, a really fantastic team. And Caleb, we came into the locker room and he's written on the board, um, number one on the board. And we all came in and we said, what's this number one on the board? And he goes, guys, Wake is number one this weekend. When we go there, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to erase that. Then he takes an eraser and tries to erase it, but it wouldn't come off because he wrote in permanent marker. And so we're sitting there like, this is not a good sign. <laughs> like We're going to get killed. And we go down to Wake and sure enough, we get killed 3-1. We didn't erase it. But he was so mad at his assistants for writing in a permanent marker. We were just dying before leaving for the trip. So that's the intensity part. But that, that I say the more human side is, you know, people won't know that no, we lost bad. <laughs> um, when I, I was getting drafted, we lost in the Sweet 16 to Northwestern. The very next day, Caleb met with me on campus. He looked me in the eye and he told me, you have to go. He never once said, you know, and, and I knew he'd want me to come back. He said, you know, it wouldn't be right. I, would, I got to be right by you and your family. I wouldn't feel good. You have to go pro. Like, take this window. Don't come back. You have to go. We'll figure it out. Then I spent a week in his office because I had no cell phone in college. I would just Skype my family. And so he opened up his office. We called a bunch of agents. All the recruiting happened in his office. Then we flew down to the Herman Trophy Award. Then we flew together to um, the MLS Combine and also the draft. We were roommates. So I got to know him like in a 10-day period from player now to being a friend. Mm. And in my debut as a pro, he flew to Seattle. People all know that. He actually flew to Seattle to watch. He was at the inaugural game. I got him tickets. He flew. And then came by my apartment after. Um, I had a couple of college friends in there as well. And then he flew back. And then through those first couple of years, until he came in the league, I'd call him almost weekly. Just nice. Or if I wasn't agreeing with Ziggy, can you tell Ziggy this? So it was something for me. And the difficult part was going back to Portland. I was obviously not the same player. had a lot of injuries. And I think we both struggled from going from being friends now. Now you got to go to player coach again. And so that was a bit of a strain. But once I retired, I think where we're at now, again, I, 
it can be six months can pass, six weeks can pass. Um, I respect him a lot because they took me from London, put me here, and I know he cares for me. Even though in my face, sometimes he, he might call me out and make an example of me. I know that when I'm not in the room behind closed doors, he's, he's fighting for me every single time and have my back. So that's the kind of man he is. And that's why um, we, had, we had great success together. Well, yeah, great guy. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Caleb. If you could just answer in one, just pick one of the two players I'm going to tell you. Chara or Ozzy Alonso? Yeah, I got Chara. <laughs> um, like I said, when I look at those Seattle teams and the Portland yeah. team, you know, those teams will go down in history, you know, as, as two of the best eras ever in MLS. And there's no since they both won championships. And when you look at how those teams were built, there's a lot of similarities. When you look at um, and Alonzo versus Chara, you know, when you look at like an, a Dempsey and versus a Valeri, you know, when you get, you know, a, a Ridgewell versus a Chad Marshall, you know what I mean? There's similarities in how those teams were, were built and that's why those teams were successful because there's always, um, I think on good teams, the right balance of um, certain types of players. When you look at Seattle, they had uh, guys that were hard-nosed, tough, gritty, um, competitive leaders, and they had guys that were special attacking players, and, and we did as well, you know. And we wouldn't have won without Chara. Um, we wouldn't have won without Valeri, just like you wouldn't have won without you or Steve or, you know, Dempsey. Um, you know, so I, I thought both teams, it was amazing to watch. And yeah. usually the home team won, usually. Um, the game I'll always remember, though, is that uh, the red card wedding. The open card. Char got red carded in. So did I. Brutal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best of luck. Uh, we will see you guys in in just a couple months, I think. Yeah. Great. Uh, Sounds so, good. Uh, best of luck until then, and uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it, and uh, take care, Steve. Congrats again, man. Thanks, right, Coach. Talk soon. All right, guys. We got him on that one, I think. I think we actually surprised him. That was yeah, great. I, I didn't yeah. expect that at all. Yeah. T-Bone, you got 10 minutes. You guys didn't tell me that it was like uh, jerseys of choice. I would have worn my, <laughs> my Steve Zakawani Portland Timbers jersey. Um, Taylor, we're, we have Patty Ani on. Obviously, you saw Caleb was in the room. We're just talking about early days of Steve. and. Yep what we remember and, and we've reminisced about this before, but, um, and also talk about Steve's impact on the club and kind of that ramp up to where he is now. We, we need more time to talk about Steve's impact in the club. Look, I'll set that aside because I think I've always, <laughs> that's the easy one. Steve's, Steve's consistency and his smile and his, uh, his approach to anything is, has been consistent since, uh, since 2009. Um, I think he's, he makes every room better. Um, mostly, mostly it's Steve you're on your phone right now. Um, let's spend the time talking about his early days because I think Steve actually hated me. I yelled at him. Uh, I yelled at him in those early training sessions at VMAC trying to hit, to get him to get back and defend. And he's like, who is this giraffe yelling at me? Seriously. That like, that was my role. If I didn't have to touch the ball and Steve scored goals, and we were going to be successful. I've got a couple stories. I don't know if Steve remembers. What What have you guys already bantered about? Steve's like the king of banter. We 
talked about um, Peter Haynes putting tape in Freddie Lundberg's locker so he wouldn't throw all these clothes everywhere. We talked about that. <laughs> Pete making a joke about hiding Lundberg's paycheck in a defensive house so he'd go back there once in a while. We talked about that. And then just other stuff. <laughs> you, well, to be, Taylor, real fast, though. You yeah. said that you, he didn't like you early on, but just a minute ago he was talking about how he – respected guys like you, Zach Scott, you know, the early guys that he looked up to. Um, so maybe there's... But he's white. That's why, because my first ever training at VMAC, I had like, I turned out of pressure and I thought I did something really good. Turned out, dribbled a bit and played the ball and then Taylor laid into me. And like, I took too long. You got to get rid of the ball. And I was like, oh, like, wow, like that. <laughs> but then that's what I'm saying. But as I watched him dodge... Zach, these guys, the way they prepared, the way they took every training seriously, Casey, the way Casey's diving everywhere. Mm. I was like, I'm 18, 19. Like, I, have, I have to. So they inspired me in that way of like um, becoming a pro. James Riley's one of them as well, where they just were so locked in every session, every drill. It was like, there was no taking plays off. So I quickly realized it wasn't personal. He just was really trying to push me to be better. You know, I, I think, Brad, you did this really well, is that you you could, you turn it on when you stepped onto the grass. You were very different in the locker room and on a bus and in a hotel room than you were on the pitch. And so I think that's what my role was, is pushing someone like Zach who had every amount of talent in the entire world um, when he was playing to think about how he could be better. But then I love the banter in the locker room, his approach. He was he had the ability to connect with every single human. I think that's what I've talked about when people go from different teams and different leagues is you've got 15 and 16 year olds and four year olds in the same locker room with eight different languages. Steve has the ability to connect with everybody and to smile and be consistent. Most of the time it was uh, drafting behind Pete Vianis's jokes or anything related to the multiple Freddies. He had the ability to connect with both Freddies but he was also super uh, self-deprecating in the sense that, Steve, do you remember the first April Fools of the photo shoot you did with I've got to tell this story. So <laughs> we get a request to do like a photo shoot for this new up and coming magazine in Seattle. And it's going to be the famous Fresh Fish. So the two rookies, Steve Zakawani and Evan Brown go down to Pike's Place. So, we dress in our actual jersey, game jersey, top, grave green top, blue shorts, drive down to Pike Place, and it's raining on this day. It's not nice at all. And then it just gets weird. They're like, hey, take your socks off, and can you, like, balance this lettuce like it's a soccer ball? I'm like, wait, what? For the photo shoot? They're like, yeah. <laughs> so I start balancing the lettuce, and I grab all these different vegetables. We're doing weird um, shoes. I sit on the pig. That, I, think, I don't know if it's still there. There was a yeah. pig at Pike Place Market. We sat on the pig. And then at some point, I'm like, I'm looking at Evan Brown, like, something isn't right here. But what can I say? I don't know how this stuff works. We're doing all kinds of weird poses. A crowd starts to gather. Then they're like, okay, before these folks can be released, you got to sign the release form. I said, cool. I write my name. Like, can you date it? And I write the date. They go, okay, what's the date again? I said, April 1st. They go, what did you say? I said, April I said, oh, my God, no way. And then Taylor and these guys come out of nowhere. And I was just like, they got me really good. That was a good one. It was me and Roger and Roger. Nate and Tyson. <laughs> and we were hiding in the crowd. Steve is smiling the whole time. But he started with his kid on and he ended shirtless, holding a salmon above his head, balancing a cabbage on his foot. Still with the <laughs> And this was the photo shoot. This was the photo shoot. That was uh, so good. 
So good. April Fool's, buddy. Um, welcome to Seattle. A fresh team at the freshest market with the freshest produce and food. That was so good. Oh, wow. But I remember. Steve, I remember, I remember shortly after, uh, maybe it was right before April Fool's, we went down to Argentina. You, you, you bawled. Um, you got hurt. You, yeah. you, you did your ankle. And I was, um, I actually just broke my foot and we were, we were biking and rehabbing on the side. And I think that's actually another time where it was you, me and Chris Cornish who were trying to keep, uh, getting healthy and stay fit. Um, and I, I was the one trying to keep you from cutting corners, right? Like to, to, to keep riding on that bike. And I honestly, I look back at those experiences and think of my role at the time. And then your, your trajectory of where you were going. And I was on the, I was on the downslope and you were on the upslope for (laughs) sure. But it's those little one-offs, honestly, that, um, that make me so appreciative for, for your, your ever present role in this club, even where you've lived and how you've been and how you've connected with, with people. It's been, it has been fun. Uh, great. No, I, yeah. We were talking earlier, like we, again, obviously Taylor, one of my favorite people at the organization, when I would go down to the office, I'd stop in have a chat about whatever it was, the million things he was doing at the time or whatever. But we were trying to, I just said to Brad earlier on and Pat would say that I think we hit the jackpot the first couple of years, especially we had such a good locker room. Like you're always going to have clicks, people that speak the same language or same culture, but it never felt clicky. I think we had really good eggs in there. It just was fun. It was like a, an escape. And then we were successful on the pitch as well. So I think it just was like, I couldn't have asked to be drafted to a better situation. And there's a reason, you know, 12 years later, I'm still living in Seattle. Like I love this place. I'm associated with the club. I still drive to CenturyLink on game day, like in a different role, but I still have that association. I still care if we win or lose. So just, just for me, a journey that you can't script better to be associated with this club. And obviously, there's always ups and downs. There's, you know, I left for a bit and came back, but um, I'm here. And I, I, I just love it, man, honestly, man. Uh, Taylor, we'll let you go. Um, get on your hiring process. Talk about <laughs> full circle. You, you got hired, and now you are the one hiring 20, 20 years later. There are a lot of circle of life references in this podcast episode, for sure. Yeah. Seeing the Lion King, Steve, circle of life. Go. Uh, well, we, didn't, we didn't even talk about your rap career. You owe me that video. I, I, I do. You I'm going to track it down. Just bring that video yeah. back. You promised yeah. me yeah. you'd surface. Yeah. yeah. MLS miss me. <laughs> I'll find it just for you. <laughs> I got to hear that. Find it. So many oh, it's in a folder. In the very first folder on his phone. It's sitting there. <laughs> he has it ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I got to hear it. it. I'll try. I appreciate you. Thank you. See you guys. Good to see you, brother. All right, um, we actually have some fan questions. You yeah. want me to? I'll, I'll go through. Um, so yeah, let's do it. Brad sourced questions on Twitter because we know that you are very rarely on Twitter anymore. I'm going to so log we, in this weekend. Yeah. I'm so we figured in. it was yeah. safe that he could like ask fans to, you know, what questions they have oh, for you. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. So we thought that that would be safe, and apparently it was. All right. Yeah. First question is from Jay Griffin, and he asks well, it's sort of a question for both of you. Brad Evans, where are you taking Steve out on an overnight hike in the woods? He needs to step out of Bellevue and see the PNW. So where are you guys going to go camping finally? <laughs> That's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> so I, ju- I just got the Airstream out of storage yesterday. Um, so I'm heading to the Grand Tetons in a couple weeks. More than nice. welcome to come. You have no <laughs> idea where that is, but I can show it to you on a map. Um, and then we're headed to North Cascades at the end of June. That would be a fantastic Ooh. one for Steve to see. Uh, we'll jump in the in, in the lake that's freezing right off the bridge. Um, 
that's and Jackie and Blue are going to be there also. So that would be oh a, nice be a good a good time for a couple nights. Yeah, I'm ready when you are, and I would say the more recommendations for a first time <clears throat> overnighter that people can send in, I think the better. But I've got a few in mind. It's just a matter of him pulling the trigger and saying, "Let's go." One day, I'm getting closer. One day, one day. Steve, if it makes you feel better, I backpacked when I was nine years old. And I was uh, not an outdoorsy nine-year-old and I survived and it was great. So that makes me, that makes me feel worse. <laughs> By the way, Steve, I did, uh, I did this past Saturday with the nature project with that group of Congolese kids. Yeah. They called me. Yeah, I couldn't make it. Yeah. 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 It was like they a hike. Awesome. Like they're obviously, I mean, they all speak English and they're yeah. recently immigrants as of maybe between two and five years ago. Yeah. Um, but like they came, I don't think they got told what they were doing because they came like dressed to the nines, bro. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, like loafers. I mean, just <laughs> best, best people. And so in the beginning, it's all, you know, high school kids and then a couple that were a little bit older. But the question I started off with was, raise your hand if you've been on a hike before. No hand went up. No. <laughs> See? <That was laughs> no. Amazing. It was a seven mile hike. Up oh, wow. Point. Oh, wow. We were just trucking first 10 15 minutes no talking um and just kind of let's talk about after that what you see what you feel in the in the mm. forest and then wow. afterwards um the accomplishment of getting to the top was just awesome to see on their faces and that like community tight-knit uh it was fantastic but that the nature wow. is is, uh, is really yeah cool. yeah i know yeah really cool. wow that's amazing yeah. next time you gotta wow. get out there it was uh it was yeah all right next question cool. is from cm C. McCormick is my guess. If you were stranded on a deserted island, which former teammate would help you survive? Help me survive? I mean, it has to be someone who's like, is Jake was, yeah. I know Jake was, I think yeah. those two, because they're outside all the time. But I would Mitch take Marcus. someone. Oh, oh, Marcus Hanneman. Marcus. Oh, yeah. we're, well, we're getting out of there. We're getting out of there. Yeah. Marcus Hanneman, 100%. And which one 100% would help you not survive? Like, who would be uh, the worst? Freddie Lundberg. Lumber, because you want me to do everything and I can't. So yeah. no, <laughs> we die. <laughs> With Marcus, we could just cut him open and get inside. <laughs> and use his body as uh, ins insulation. Yeah, yeah. Marcus, I'm surviving. That's true. I feel like he'd be so nice too that he'd just let you do it. He'd be like, okay, yeah. <laughs> if that'll help, I'll do it. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. Next question is from uh, Ryan. What are both of your favorite memories of soccer growing up? Um, for me, just very simple. Playing on the streets in London with my friends. I think a summer in London is just essentially just a bunch of pickup games all over the city. Everyone's playing every park you turn. So I, I miss that. And then more, like a more serious memory was obviously being a part of Arsenal's academy. Um, I, as I get older, I realize how special that was um, to spend five years there. Playing against some of those teams at that level, learning what the game was. So probably I would say just my childhood in London, like overall experience of playing football there was pretty amazing. Yeah, growing up, we had a couple good coaches. One uh, that made the biggest impression was a Brazilian coach that we had. Um, and he's actually technical director in Brazil now in top flight. Mm -hmm. He was at Bahia for a little bit. So we were really lucky to have him, not knowing that his career would take him where it did. And just the technical aspect every day at training, it was all about, you know, using the sole of your foot and just having the ball at your feet. Um, that, like, inspired love of soccer for me. Uh, and then high school soccer every day. Uh, we had to take penalty kicks. And if you missed, you mm. had to do fitness. If you made it, you didn't have to do fitness. And so that's where like the, 
I don't know, competitive side without knowing that it was competitive came out. Like there's a winner, there's a loser, right? If you make your shots, you're going to win. If you miss, you're, you're going to lose and you're going to have to do fitness, right? So um, both of those, for some reason, stick yeah. out playing indoor soccer, playing futsal at a young age. Like those were all just great memories that you, you can never, you can never rep- replicate those again because now you try to play futsal and these old guys try to crush you because they're trying to, <laughs> right? It's like not fun anymore. So that's why we yeah. have to play men's league. Yeah, exactly. People try to prove themselves and think that they're so cool. <laughs> I can take a shot at this former pro. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yeah. All right. This is the final cl- question from Dave Clark. And he asks, Steve, when is your next album? Mm. You know what's crazy? Again, Taylor was talking about music. So I did like fun, just at completely amateurish. There was like a studio right by CenturyLink. And like after games, I could never sleep. So the guy would keep it open for me. I used to go there with some friends and just for fun, record tracks that I sent to my friends and family back home. One ended up going on YouTube. It got pulled down at some point. I forget when. That's the one Taylor's referencing. So I was just last week actually with a music friend of mine um, in the studio messing around. I don't think I'd make an album. I said if I ever got to do one with Clint, like a track, then I would do a track. So, um, and I think it's possible because we talked about it. So something, but it's fun, you know? So I don't know that I'd actually make an album. I'm not good enough for that, but maybe like a fun little thing with Clint or someone who's musical, I probably would do. If you need background vocals, I was a musical theater nerd. <laughs> I was a musical theater nerd. I can, <laughs> I got you in the back. You're on, we got you. You're on. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Um, Sounders FC versus Austin at home. Uh, 6.30 p.m. kickoff, FS1 Prime Video, and then me, Steve, and Casey will yeah. be on the radio. So I have no idea how this is going to go. Um, no idea. Players only broadcast, so we'll see. Tune in. Uh, make sure that you guys get uh, – there's no excuse this weekend on how to watch or listen to this. Uh, this yeah. next <laughs> Sounders continue to climb the ranking. Steve, congratulations on 100 podcasts. Uh, Thank Thanks, man. Yeah. No, well, Steve, yeah, I just, I want to say like, um, from, we work together on the broadcast side and right. there's very, I worked with a lot of people and you rank among one of the most respectful, one of the most professional and just one of the greatest people that I've worked with. And I just, I wanted you to know that. And there's a reason why this was such an easy episode to do because people really, they, they're attracted to your energy and just thank you for being awesome. Healy, you're the best. And I just got a notification. The wire transfer will clear in five minutes. So you're good. So the money I sent you for that compliment is coming. Thank you. <laughs> I check my Venmo. <laughs> nah, thank you. That was great. Thank you, guys. Pleasure.